0: And welcome back. You're listening to Soul Dancer, the author of Pay Me What I'm Worth. And we are in a four part series that's looking at how to dissolve office politics. My book features many ways on how to dissolve office politics. And companies hire me to come in and mop up some pretty nasty situations so that people can once again breathe a little easier, work a little easier. Everybody's happier and profits go up, clients are happier. All of those happen when office politics go away. Tonight, show number three of a four-part series is going to focus on you taking a leadership role in helping to dissolve a particular issue. Now, if you haven't listened to the first two shows, I highly recommend that you go back Take a listen to those shows so that you can begin to get the skills and get the framework in which to take a leadership role. Now, here's the deal. As a leader or part of a leadership team, to begin solving or dissolving permanently a particular issue that you find is less than optimal in your office (laughs) You're going to really have to step up to the plate when it comes to three specific traits. The three specific traits that you're going to need as a leader or part of the leadership team to help dissolve office politics based on the research that you did out of show number one, based on the results that you came up with out of show number two, you're going to find that as a leader, you must maintain objectivity. Item number one objectivity. We talked about that in show number two. Now let's dive with that a little bit more in this show objectivity. Your ability to resolve office politics will fail if you get caught up in the drama. <laughs> That's pretty common sense. But for a lot of people, they start out with the best intentions. They really do want to help resolve. The issues at hand, but because they kind of get hooked into things, what was once maybe a minor issue now becomes a major issue. So, objectivity. So, getting out a piece of paper and pencil, let's practice a little bit of objectivity skills. Objectivity versus judgment. So, by that I mean, for example, I'm going to give you a couple of statements. I want you to Label which statement is objective and which statement is judgmental. So the first pair of statements, are our two statements, are going to sound very similar, but they're going to have a slight change. You need to figure out which one is objective, which one is judgmental. So the first statement is, let's say you're commenting on uh, Barb's outfit that you see at work. And you say something like, Barb, that's a great outfit. That's the first statement. Barb, that's a great outfit. The second statement is, Barb, that's a great outfit. You look wonderful in it. Which one is an observation? And which one is a judgment? What do you think? First statement is, Barb, that's a great outfit. The second statement is, Barb, that's a great outfit. You look fabulous in it. Now, we're playing pretty close to the wire here. Both of them could be considered judgmental statements. <laughs> Through you a little curveball. The reason why both of them could be considered judgmental statements, is because the word great and wonderful got mixed in there. Now, an example of just an observational statement about Barb's outfit is, let's assume that Barb has a very colorful outfit on. An objective statement would be, Barb, that's a really colorful outfit. Now, depending on how you say it, it could also be misinterpreted as judgmental as well. So as you can see, the fine line between observation and judgment is very thin. You're best to stick to just the points, the facts. So for example, Barb, you've been here at the company for what, 18 months now? Barb, you've been here at the company for what, 18 months. Isn't that amazing? I think you've already caught which would be the objective statement and which would be the judgmental statement. The reason why, as a leader, you must remain objective is because your ability to see better and listen better is more likely if you're objective. When you start getting hooked into things, the drama... When you start getting hooked into trying to prove your right or trying to prove someone else's wrong, you've lost all objectivity. And as a leader, to dissolving office politics, if you lose objectivity, do everyone a favor and step down from your role as a leader. Item number one then taking on the leadership or co leadership role. Of dissolving an issue is maintaining your objectivity. Item number two of three, as you come down to clearing, dissolving an issue, is your ability to be open to different ways to get the same result. You might have your way. Of solving this office politic. But there may be other ways to do the same thing. So you must remain flexible. Objective, now you're going to be a flexible person. (laughs) And the best way I can pretty much give you an idea about flexibility is think about this when you're using a computer. Nine out of ten when you're using a word processing program on your computer, there's probably three or four different ways to copy and paste. You can use the menus. You can use keystrokes. You can use clicks and right clicks. You can copy and paste three or four different ways to get to the same result. (laughs) That's what I mean about being flexible when it comes down to stepping into a leadership role to solving an office politic. So let's test out your flexibility skills. I have a little game for you to try out to see just how flexible you are. This game is going to see how much of a perfectionist might be lurking around inside you. How much of a critic might be lurking around inside you. Critics and perfectionists, those traits really don't support the ability to be open-minded and flexible. So let's see how much of a perfectionist are you. At some point within the next few days, specifically do something that is less than your 100% ability. So for example, let's say in the morning when you wake up, you always make your bed. You always make your bed. It almost looks like a hotel bed by the time you're done. In the morning, can you not make your bed and feel okay about it? <laughs> or if you're the type that really doesn't make your bed anyway, can you try eating something different for breakfast for the next three or four days? Something you've never had before. Different. Different. Does it throw off your routine? When it comes to criticism, when you notice something, when you notice an error or when you notice a uh, something that needs to be corrected, do you have to say something? Let's say you walk into someone's office or you walk into someone's home and you notice a picture that's just slightly off kilter can you leave it alone or do you have to go adjust it? If somebody has, say, some lint up on their shoulder and they don't know that they have lint up on their shoulder, do you have to pick it off or can you leave it alone? I'm digging into your leadership skills to test, to see just how well you can allow people to be who they are and how well you can allow them to bring their skills to the table to resolve the same issue. So that flexibility part, as you step into the leadership role, as you lay out the issue in an objective way, and you invite people to the table to begin to resolve it, especially the very people who are causing the office issue, if you're not flexible, if you don't have some... uh, ability to allow different ways of resolving the same issue to happen, you're going to find yourself getting into a little bit more of a struggle. So think about that. How flexible are you? Now, keep in mind, I do ask that you put some restraint on that flexibility. I'm not talking about You know, everything goes sort of thing. Your goal is to resolve that particular issue. So by being objective, balanced with being flexible, you now dive into the third item as a leader, and that is creating the plan. What does the plan look like? Literally, start brainstorming a list of what types of things, what types of events... What type of resources do you need to actually resolve this issue? Now, you should have gotten quite a bit of this out of the last step that was in show number one. Go back and listen to show number one if you haven't. The last step in show number one should give you plenty of material on how to start creating a plan. Now, this plan really needs to be realistic, and by that, take a look at What's happening in your office at this particular time? If you're in the middle of like something like a big year end or big month end or there's a big transition going on or there's some sort of major event happening, 9 out of 10, it's not the best time to start dealing with that particular issue. <laughs> so if there's a big holiday coming up or a number of people are going to be on vacation What's the environment in which you're in at the moment? Is it the most suitable environment for you to start working on dissolving that particular office politics? So as you create your plan, you're simply going to write down the key ingredients that I propose in Chapter 8 of Pay Me What I'm Worth. And you're going to kind of create a little bit of a performance-based contract, meaning who... Is going to do what, by when, and if they do, how are they rewarded, and if they don't, what happens? Let me repeat that. For each part of the plan, if you're not familiar with making a plan, it's really quite simple. Four items. Item number one what are the various tasks? What do you actually need to accomplish? Item number two, who's going to do them and how? Is there a specific reason behind the how? Make sure you note that. And number three, when does it need to be done by? Which goes into kind of like the rewards. I mean, if someone accomplishes it, how are they going to be rewarded? And if someone doesn't accomplish it, then what happens? So here's a concrete performance-based contract. In one sentence, I will wake up at 7 a.m. to be on time to work by 8.30 a.m. My reward will be, I keep my job. My penalty, if I am not on time on a regular basis, I lose my job. All right, that was three sentences. But it's something as simple as that. You identify what needs to be done, how it will be done, who it will be done by, when it will be done by, what are the rewards for getting it done, and for lack of better words, what are the penalties if it doesn't happen. So, item number one, you're going to become objective as a leader, especially as you create the plan. Item number two is you're going to begin to realize that there are more than one way to resolve the same issue, especially if this is a big issue. It might be a little bit longer of a time to resolve it, but you need to be aware and attentive to the notion that there's going to be more than one way to resolve that issue. And then item number three, start creating your plan. Take the leadership role in doing some sort of planning, some type of planning. And this planning is really not to be rushed. Don't plow through this planning. Do not railroad through a plan. Well, we just need to do this, this, and this, and we'll be fine. Uh, No. (laughs) You might resolve one issue and create four more. So like the example I gave in the last episode, think about what it's like when you create the need to paint a room. If you've never painted a room before, try it sometime. You think, oh, it's easy. Just get out the brushes and paint the room. No. Painting a room often requires a lot of prep work, and your planning stage is going to be that prep work. You're really going to begin to look at things. Now, here is a secret that I use in my consulting, and that secret is the planning process The mere fact we start planning to resolve a particular office politic, we're getting ready. We haven't necessarily started the process. We're just getting ready to start the process. A savvy person in their planning process, the planning process actually dissolves the office politic. (laughs) Let me repeat that. In very good planning, as you begin to get all the people involved that's going to be needed to be involved in resolving that office politics, as you get down all the different things you're going to need to do, you might just discover everybody's going to go, wait a minute, why is this an issue? Hold on. This is this is not really that big of an issue. We we can this is so easy. We can just let it go. <laughs> so in your planning process, the reason why I'm suggesting you be very objective and flexible is you invite in everybody's talents and skills. And in doing so, the very problem that you had may evaporate. Cool, huh? <laughs> Now, if you're not lucky enough in your planning stage to resolve the issue just because of the collaborative nature of work it takes to create that plan, then as you go through, I suggest you have a three-phase process for your planning. The first plan, get a rough plan put together, more or less a rough plan, a plan that you think is doable. Take it to a few people who might have been down this path before. Maybe you take it to one of your superiors. Float the idea around. Bang it around. Test drive it. See what people think. And then begin to modify it based on the feedback that you get. Your first plan, your first objective plan is not necessarily going to be the only plan. So phase one is get a rough draft done. Phase two, float it around. Have a few people check it out. Have a few people even possibly try a couple of the steps to see if you might have missed something. And once you've floated it around, during that time, what's critically important, this is imperative, absolutely imperative, because you're getting ready to launch. You start testing the waters to see how much buy-in you have from the parties involved with this particular issue. And what I mean by buy-in is you you begin to get a good idea as you're putting this plan together. How many people are for this? How many people are excited about this? How many people really want to be part of this? How many people really want it to work out? And how many people are dead set against it? How many people are really like, "Ah, fine, I'll do it. How many people do you have a hunch that no matter what you do, nothing will make them happy? No matter what the outcome is, they're not going to be happy about it. So during this last phase of your planning process, as you're kind of testing the waters before you lift off, before you light the rocket, uh, fuse for the rocket and take off. <laughs> is you begin to find out just exactly how much support you really do have. If you find that you honestly don't have a whole lot of support, it doesn't mean you failed. It just means that there needs to be maybe a little breathing space, a little time where you allow that particular issue. It may continue on, but because everybody knows that you're going to be looking at dissolving that issue, we might still have that chance where it, it just dissolves on its own. It becomes a non-issue. So if you're finding you have more people very skeptic, skeptical of what you're doing, if you have more people doubting that it can be done, bring it up. Ask them how their doubt is supported. Not why their doubt is supported. How their doubt As we begin to wrap up the show, I think that's absolutely critical that you understand the difference between the energy behind the word how and why. As a leader, you're going to fall into the judgment trap if you ask the why question. Because 9 out of 10, the why question is absolutely loaded with right or wrong, good or bad, in or out, black or white. It's loaded with someone being on one side or the other. It's loaded with all sorts of judgment. Whereas a how question is more open. A how question is, how have you come to say this isn't going to work? Can you give me some ideas on what you see happening? Much more open, it dives a little bit deeper into the process. How's give you extraordinary insight into what people are thinking, how they're thinking about things, what they're willing to do or not do. Why questions, 9 out of 10, put people in an offensive or defensive state. So if you can, (laughs) if you really can, try and stay away from those why questions. More often than not, the how question is going to be much more powerful. So wrapping up on this third show of a four-part pilot series on dissolving office politics, if at any point in time you would like more one-on-one support or personal support, you're welcome to click out to souldancer.org, S-O-U-L, dancer.org. Right at the top of the page, you're going to see a link about my office politics techniques. Give it a click. See what you think. Tomorrow, we're going to now look at not only have you decided to step into the role as a leader or part of the leadership team, but you've actually got a bona fide, agreed-upon, ready-to-go plan. So what we're going to begin to cover in the show tomorrow is you taking a look at actually implementing and possibly maintaining that plan. Implementing And maintaining two different things lots of different work involved so between now and the next show I encourage you if you have not listened to shows number one and two please do you're going to get some great information by the way a lot of people have paid some pretty good money for the very information that you've taken 30 minutes of your time to listen to you can call and schedule a consultation and we'll have a lively 30 to 45 minute interview during that time, if you find you would like to engage me to help you resolve those office politics, you're going to find that you're going to, at the very least, out of our interview, get some really good ideas, for free, that you can take and run with. You're welcome to call 312-268-0000, again 312 312-268- 268 0000 to schedule your appointment. So, recapping today, one, you're going to be a leader or part of the leadership team to dissolve a particular office politic. To do so, you need three specific things. One, you need objectivity. Really start looking at your objectivity. And by getting into that objectivity, you will be able to decide. Just how much a perfectionist and a critic you are. Make sure those disappear, because otherwise you'll be more of a judge than you'll be objective. And then as you begin to create that third item that we talked about, the plan, create the plan. Keep in mind the second item, flexibility. There are more than one ways to do just about everything. (laughs) Keep that in mind as you create that plan. Bring your questions, especially tomorrow night, about all of what you've listened to. I'll be happy to answer those in a special Q&A session after we complete the fourth part of our four-part series. This is Soul Dancer, the author of Pay Me What I'm Worth, and also the founder of Soul Dancing Network. Check out Pay Me What I'm Worth, worth IamWorth.com, or SoulDancer.org. Out on souldancer.org, you'll find a number of donation-based programs that will help you grow with ease and grace on personal and professional levels.